What's up, y'all, and welcome to Leadership with LaToya for Leaders on the Road. We're excited to talk with you today and continue our instructional leadership series. But our show wouldn't be what it is without our co-host, Mike Wakesness. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, LaToya, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, baseball season is uh, getting started up, and you know how much of a fan I am. So I'm excited for baseball and the warm weather coming with it. I'm excited about the warm weather, and yes, I do know how much you love baseball, and today is opening day, so I know you will be glued uh, to the TV come uh, coming up and watching your favorite team, the Yankees, to see how, how they fare. Um, Mike, you know, in this series, we've been talking about professional learning communities, and we addressed two of the four critical questions in our previous two episodes, and those questions are, what is it students should know and be able to do? And the second question is, how will we know when they've learned it? Let's make an attempt to maybe tackle questions three and four if we can today. Um, and those two questions are, what do we do when students haven't learned what we've taught? And what do we do when they already know it? So let's start with that first question. If you were uh, giving some advice to a practicing, practicing principal, an instructional leader, uh, what would you tell them to start, just begin to think about when addressing the question, what do we do when students haven't learned what we've taught? Well, I think the, the first thing I would say is you have to be really thoughtful in how you approach this because a lot of times uh, what I've seen in my experience is we kind of skip over one and two. We don't really think about that and we go to step three. I think we do a lot in schools to try to address what do we do when students don't know what it is we want them to know. But a lot of times we skip those first two things. You know, what is it exactly? What are the power standards, so to speak? And the second one, what do we, or how do we know when a student has mastered it? So I think you really got to make sure you're addressing one and two before you get to three. And lots of times I think we, we kind of fail that test. We go right to three. So, but when you get to number three, I think the first thing, and I know you think this too, because we talk about this a whole lot, is you have to have really solid, tier one instruction before you really start thinking about what you need to do with those students that are not mastering it because you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck getting tier one instruction, you know, the 85% of your students in your school getting solid with that instruction. Oh yeah, Mike, I could not agree more. You know what I remember distinctly about being principal at an elementary school and just in general what I sometimes see in elementary schools is that question three involves a lot of folks giving um, kids who haven't quite learned it or maybe have gaps in knowledge opportunity to work with folks who are less experts. They have less expertise. For example, uh, people often want to hire, you know, non-certified folks to come in and be tutors or maybe call them academic interventionists who work with kids who need extra help. And I used to say all the time, we don't want to give our most struggling students to the least expert folks. So those kids who need the most help need the, the teacher who is credentialed and licensed and effective and experienced. And I worry sometimes that these extra help groups or um, these being pulled out of that core instruction to work with the non-certified person really shoots folks or, or efforts, shoots our efforts in the foot because we aren't giving those children access to our most highly qualified, highly effective educators. But I could not agree with you more about the importance of core instruction. I think 
Also, my second point, and I'd like to know, you know, what your thinking is on this or maybe what your experiences or observations have been. So often I think there's an assumption that core instruction is solid, that some of the basic things that we expect teachers to understand regarding pedagogy are being done at a masterful level. And what I have found is that that's not so, that teachers need a lot of practice with creating appropriate learning objectives, that creating rigorous aligned Assessments takes a lot of practice, a lot of feedback, a lot of collective inquiry. And so sometimes we just assume teachers bring those skills to the table and go right to, well, you taught it. If they didn't learn it, they need extra help. When I'm wondering if there should be more coaching and feedback to teachers around how do you strengthen your core instruction? Yeah, I agree with all that, Latoya. And you know, one of my favorite books is Focus by Mike Smoker, a very um, influential book in my work and when we taught a, a course together at Catawba College that was one of the texts that we used and um, essentially it's saying everything you just said you know we have to get really good at the basics before we start doing all these interventions and um, all these you, you know kind of and I'll get and we talked about baseball before and um, I won't go on too long because our listeners may not be big baseball fans all of them but you know, it's kind of like spending all your practice time on bunting or all your practice time on base running. So, yes, those are things in baseball, but they're not the most important things. They're not the hitting. They're not the pitching. They're not the defense. Uh, or like with football, you know, if you spend all your practice time on special teams, well, yes, that's part of it. But, you know, you're going to have to do a lot more than that to get to the core of what you're doing. So um, a lot of times we are we're, – we're focusing on things that are the secondary, the enhancement, so to speak, but not the solid instruction. And in focus, that's exactly, if you have not read that book, if you're listening to this, you got to get it. It's a quick read, but it's really powerful, and it talks about the importance of doing the basics correct first. And a lot of times what you said is 100% true, Latoya. We focus on all the extras, but we don't have the basics down yet. Yeah, so Mike, you know, I think an important piece that is parallel to these four critical questions to really make teaching and learning the the center of what you do in your school building or school district, I think parallel to that is the instructional leader's ability to give solid feedback. And so what I've seen or what my observation has been, or at least a thought I had this week, I was having a discussion with another colleague and I, I said, you know, sometimes I wonder if some folks who wanted to to enter into the realm of administration really wanted to be instructional leaders. I think there are other parts of the job, uh, and certainly there it's a multifaceted job with uh, a number of different aspects to it. But I think some people are really not so thrilled with instructional leadership. So how do you help a principal who's really not comfortable giving feedback around core instruction and coaching teachers up and coaching them through um, and, and really doesn't have a good idea of what good instruction looks like, what it sounds like, how to know when it's happening, and what to do when it's not to help a teacher be more effective. If you were coaching a, a new principal or a new assistant principal who really wanted to be a strong principal, what would you tell them in terms of instructional feedback? I think they need to get their scholar hat on. You know, they, they're going to have to study up on it if that's not their strong point. They're not just going to magically know what good instruction is. Now, the good thing is, if you're an administrator, you get to go into a lot of classrooms, so you get to see what the effective teachers are doing, but I know um, on the website, Latoya, we have some great resources that administrators can use to help them as they plan feedback, as they plan professional development tied to feedback. There are so many good books out there uh, that will help principals with this. I use the Teach Like a Champion books, one and two. 
had to analyze, like we do in sports, you analyze the video. You can do that and practice giving feedback. Uh, Leverage Leadership, that's another great book that we've used um, together when we were in um, the middle school together as co-principals. There's some great video and great resources in there. So spending the time to to get the knowledge and uh, being able to show teachers what good instruction is. So those are just a few resources that, that I can think of that would help a, a principal. The Teach like, Teach like a Champion books, the Leverage Leadership, and some of the resources that we have on our yeah, uh, we have that instructional mini workbook, instructional leadership mini workbook that just went, got posted last week, I believe, and uh, it's had numerous hits, and I would encourage you to take a look at it, to use it to help you get really focused and centered if you're an instructional leader. Um, certainly, it's not perfect, but it's free, and it's there for you to use. Mike, you know, in talking about instructional feedback and, you know, all the books you mentioned, I think they're all phenomenal and very helpful to people who really want to put their scholar hat on, to use your words, to become more scholarly about the work they do. But, you know, I was saddened last week when I talked to one of our former teachers from our middle school who told me that not a single person had observed her teaching all school year, that no one had been in her classroom, that she gotten zero feedback. And what's interesting about that, I thought, well, I'm sure it's because, uh, and as she was when she was with us, she is a very effective teacher. Uh, you know, she's very good. But I want you to talk some about what happens when we are not giving uh, teachers feedback and then how that impacts that third question of what teachers should do when students haven't learned the material. I think a lot of times we do that. We ignore the high flyers, so to speak. But sometimes the high flyers, they're the ones who crave the feedback the most. Um, so we definitely should not be ignoring our, our teachers that we perceive as, as effective because, um, you know, just like with our students, think about with our students, Latoya, we want to move all of our students up uh, another level, you know, with their learning. Whether they're down low, you want to get them higher, or even if they come in and they're not going to get out of the park in the 98th percentile, you still want to make sure you're increasing um, their performance, their outcomes. So same thing with teachers. So not ignoring the high flyers and uh, making sure you're providing that feedback. Because as, as a principal, as an instructional leader, that's, that's your job is to increase the effectiveness of everybody in your building, whether they need a whole lot of help or even if they don't need a whole lot of help, but they can keep getting better. Oh, I could not agree more. I think this time of year, uh, it's appropriate for principals to start asking themselves and reflecting on whose practice is better because of my feedback, uh, due to my feedback, or in partly due to my feedback. Who have I helped to be more effective? Whose teaching is improved, has improved since uh, the beginning of the year based on the working, professionalized relationship I've had with them? And so it saddens me to hear educators say no one's been in my classroom to give me feedback. But I also think that it impacts greatly what teachers do when students haven't learned. So when you think about that core instruction, if you're not getting feedback to make that solid, then when you're designing as a teacher uh, intervention for students who have not learned, uh, then you have no one who's um, helped guide or correct any misconception or misthinking 
perhaps as something as simple as your questioning isn't as uh, powerful or aligned as it should be. Maybe your lessons aren't as rigorous as they need to be. Um, and so it greatly, the point I guess I'm trying to make here is that when teachers don't get feedback, it's not just a matter of them not becoming better at the practice of teaching, but it greatly impacts their effectiveness. In other words, it is a key factor in the learning outcomes of students. And so, you know, I think that's something also, Mike, when it comes to being an administrator and giving feedback, that takes a lot of practice, that you have to practice, um, and you have to keep practicing it and doing it. And the unfortunate part is I think because the feedback piece has become so um or, or in some, is sometimes so scarce and only given around uh, evaluation time, then teachers begin to um, view evaluation as feedback. And those two are not quite the same. And so I always tell principals, you know, I can tell if you're in classrooms because when you knock on a teacher's door, they don't say, what do you need? They're used to you being there. Right. They're used to you coming in. Uh, but if right. they're not... I get that all surprised when, when the principal walks in and they they get something weird out of the ordinary, then that's, yeah, it's a pretty good sign. That's, that's true. So, Mike, you know, many schools and districts are really using technology to help bridge gaps for students um, when they haven't learned material. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So, you know, there's Khan Academy out there that has thousands and thousands and millions of pieces of resources, which are very solid and highly reputable, um, that teachers can use to serve as sort of a supplemental piece of instruction and sometimes in a flip initial instruction uh, what's your take on how technology should be used or technology software when it comes to intervention I think it should be used thoughtfully and carefully there are certainly some great resources out there and pulling us back to the topic of today the PLC this is when that is a critical part of it when you're looking at technology so you don't want just one teacher saying okay kids go to Khan Academy because some kids are going to go to Khan Academy and they're going to you know find what they're supposed to do and some are going to you know, go on Khan Academy and just sit there and do nothing with it. But when you have your PLC group, your teachers, your experts in the building, sitting down and saying, okay, well, we know some students aren't going to know how to add um, instructions or whatever yeah. it may be. So how can we go on Khan Academy as teachers and figure out exactly what we want our students to do on it and then provide that as a supplemental um, piece of, of, of learning for the students or even if you mentioned like a flipped classroom, but I'm just saying, here, go to, this, go to this website, watch this. But if your PLC is looking at question number three, what are we going to do when students don't learn the information? And using that as a lens to provide thoughtful assignments for your students, then that, that's how you really leverage the power of technology, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, and further, I think folks need to get targeted about what it is students don't understand. So when you're looking, we'll use math as an example, and a skill that students are supposed to master, for example, uh, we'll say subtraction. Is it that they don't understand borrowing and renaming? Is it place value that's causing the issue? And then I think those interventions need to be very targeted. And I think often teachers do a very holistic approach to intervention when they haven't really identified the key step or key place in the process that maybe students have gaps in knowledge or missing piece of information. And so I think getting students to tell us uh, about their thinking and modeling our thinking for them is a powerful pedagogical practice. Practice, And I'm afraid sometimes what we do with intervention when we don't target and focus our efforts is we, is we give kids more of the same. 
So you didn't get that lesson. We're going to give you some more of that and see if you learn it, if you have a little bit longer with the same instruction. So the key to me with intervention is actually doing something different and being very specific and targeted and figuring out exactly, precisely what it is a kid doesn't understand or what it is a student is missing in their foundational knowledge that's causing gaps in their performance. I think about it this way, you know, there are lots of reasons why a person can have high blood pressure. It could be genetic. It could be your diet. It could be the fact that you don't exercise the way you should uh, exercise. And doctors have a responsibility to pinpoint that area so that they can then help reduce it. And so if they didn't get targeted about certain things, can you imagine all the um, uh, accidental incorrect prescriptions they might write? Uh, to folks. So we have to be just as targeted and specific. But Mike, on the other side of this is that fourth question, what do we do when students already know it? Sometimes I feel like our gifted students who are uh, ready and, and, and all quite often we give them a pre-assessment and they've mastered a, much of what's uh, on the docket to be taught. What is it that you think teachers need to be doing about that question? You know, that's a tough one. Uh, I guess they're, really they're all tough ones, but that, that one's a tough one because, again, a lot of times in schools, we place so much of our focus on the students that are not getting it. And we, I don't want to say ignore the higher, higher, higher students, but a lot of times they don't get as much uh, attention. So that's really something we need to pay attention to. And, again, in your PLC, talk about that. Come up with specific strategies. You know, I can't think of a one-size-fits-all that, you know, will do this if they know it. But a lot of times what I see when I go into classrooms is a teacher will say something to the effect of, okay, if you finish up early, you can uh, read or you can do more problems or you can do, you know, extra work really is what it comes down to a lot. And, and, and really question four is trying to avoid those things. So what is it that's going to help them with their learning, whether it be some kind of a, a, a PDL or, or, or using the technology like we talked about, but using something to further their learning, not just to give them more work. Their, their reward for finishing the work and doing a good job shouldn't be more work at the same. Yes, absolutely. I think the approach you mentioned to focus on quality and target it to the students' needs is essential. I'm thinking back to my teaching career a long time ago before all of this technology was even really on the docket and, um, you know, where, you know, uh, we were trying to, I had a student uh, who was very gifted and I remember placing him on what I called independent study. And I basically planned separately for him to meet his needs because much of, of what was in our curriculum, he already had mastery of. At the same time, I did not want to give him uh, a, a larger quantity of work simply because he was gifted, but I wanted to give him what he needed. So it meant him having um, to work with texts that were more complex. It meant introducing some skills that would be coming in the next grade level and letting him work with that. It meant having him flesh out some more uh, technical writing and uh, deeper analysis. So I think that's an important piece, and I think technology can be an accelerator. It can be a bridge builder, but the key is the human capital that uh, determines how it will be used. So I, I could not agree with you more that that's really key, and th those are both important questions. 
Well, this uh, episode here will finish up our professional learning community focus. And in our next instructional leadership series, we're going to be talking about more things that uh, we think are essential to instructional leadership, uh, specifically around feedback uh, for teachers and how do you make that non-threatening yet still operate as the leader and administrator? How do you really get to coaching teachers for improvement uh, as the principal or assistant principal? Until next time, folks. Be you, be true, be a hope builder. This is Leadership with LaToya for Leaders on the Road.